you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25. Over the past couple of months, we have been a series, in a series called The Broken King, looking at the life of David. And if you were here last week, you might think, 1 Samuel 25, we were just in 1 Samuel uh, 31 and then 2 Samuel 1. We're going to take a step back this week to look at an episode in the life of David. One of the things that we have been talking about over the past several weeks is that in a lot of ways, David is meant to point us to Christ. In a lot of the ways David uh, lives, serves others, things like that, the way he uh, trusts God, he's meant to point us to Christ. Well, in today's episode, he's going to look a little bit more like us and point us to the humanness and the fallenness and the weakness that we have in ourselves. And if you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, David finds Saul in a cave, and he's got his men, and he has the opportunity to take Saul's life. But he doesn't. This follows that episode. And David, maybe thinking that Saul might have been his only enemy, discovers in 1 Samuel 25 that he has another enemy that he didn't know about. And what we're going to ask today is whenever we encounter enemies in our lives, whenever we encounter enemies, we often react in anger and defense of our own name. You might even think I can think of a person right now that I blew up on whenever I encountered them and they insulted me or they uh, put me down or something like that. So how do you respond when you encounter an enemy? And let me say right up front, just because someone disagrees with you does not make them your enemy. Just because someone doesn't like the color of the paint you put on your walls or the furniture you chose or the car you decide to drive does not make them your enemy. I'm talking about someone who is legitimately against you. They have set themselves against you. Maybe it's a family member. No matter what you do, they always respond in rudeness. They always are ungrateful for whatever you do for them. And they have made it known they're not for you. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker, and there is constant friction, and you know they're not for you. Maybe it's someone at school. We have kids in the room today. Maybe you have someone in your classroom that they're mean. The things they say to you are not kind. They're not like Jesus, and they've set themselves against you. How do you respond to people like that? Well, we're going to see how David responded today, and we're going to learn how we should respond. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 25, we're going to start reading in verse 1 and go through verse 8. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Mon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. They missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So after the episode with Saul in the cave, Saul goes home, 
And David is still with his men in the wilderness in the area of Judah, in the tribe of Judah. And we are introduced again to David. We've, we know a little bit about David, so we're not going to go into describing his character, but we're introduced to two new faces, Nabal and Abigail. And it's interesting how the text presents Nabal. Before we even know his name, the author wants us to know this man is very rich. He has a lot of stuff. He has a lot of sheep. He's wealthy. And then we're introduced to his name, Nabal. But his wife, we hear about her name first, Abigail. And she is a picture of a Proverbs 31 woman, right? Young men, if you're in the room and you're single, this is the type of woman that you want to find. Okay, ladies, Nabal, as you will find out, is not the type of guy you want to find. Okay, you may think, oh, well, he had money. Uh, there's more, more to it than that. So, but what we need to understand is that both of this, this couple, Nabal and Abigail, are from Judah. Where's David from? He's from the tribe of Judah as well. So it's very possible that they're in some way, shape, or form related. Somewhere on the family tree, if they had a giant tribe of Judah family reunion, they might be there, okay? Now, when David, understanding this, presents Nabal with his request, notice what he does. He leans on his own name. He says, go greet Nabal in my name. Maybe if, if Nabal knows it's me, it's David, then he will show favor and provide us with nutrients and, and nourishments. You got to think, you got 600 guys out in the wilderness. These guys are probably hungry. They need some food. They need some water, right? So David lays it on thick. He's peace be to you, peace be to you. Peace. He's buttering up Nabal, hoping to receive from him. And he sends him this message. He's like, hey, your, your shepherds have been out with us in the wilderness. We've done them no harm. They've missed nothing. He's protected them. And you have to wonder, what was David before he was anointed king? He was a shepherd. I wonder if he had some type of affinity for these guys. They're vulnerable, out in the wilderness, wild animals, people who could steal. But he was there to protect them. And he hopes that this is going to get him, uh, provide him with some leeway with, with Nabal. Right? So David's laying it on thick. And we may think in our culture, you know, for hospitality, you know, Southern hospitality is something we talk about. Sometimes that's true, and sometimes that's not. But in this culture, hospitality was something to be expected, right? That you show up, and you are, here's some food. Here's, here are some, some things that you can use. Kick up your feet. Let me get you a glass of water. That's what was to be expected in this culture. So now that we've been introduced to these characters, let's see how Nabal responds. Let's look at Nabal's response and David's reaction in verses 9 through 13. It says, When David's young men came, they said all of this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants in these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword, every man of them then strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. So we see Nabal's response. He's totally selfish. He is rejecting David. He's insulting David. But I want you to see something here. It's, this is not a mere insult. 
This is not, he's not just writing David off. Nabal knows what's going on in the kingdom. We see later that Abigail has an, has an inclination too of what's happening. He belittles David. He says, there's a lot of servants that are running away from their masters these days. He's not just insulting him. He's rejecting him as the anointed king. David, by this point, has been anointed by Samuel. Nabal, one, one commentator said, what David has inadvertently discovered is a supporter of Saul. He's not about David being king. He doesn't like the idea of it. So he rejects David as king, and we're going to see later that this is going to lead to his destruction. But I want you to see something else in the text. Did you notice a repetition of something here? He said, why should I give my meat, my water that I have killed from my shearers? Nabal is inherently, and selfishness runs through his blood. This is all his. He gives no acknowledgement to God. And as I was reading this, I was reminded of the fool in Luke chapter 12, verse 20 who had all of his food stored away in barns, and he had so much that he needed to tear down the old barns and build bigger ones. So he did all that, and he said, now we are prepared. And then God said to him, fool, what will you do? Your, your life is now required of you. You see a man who puts his trust in possessions, and we, now we might understand why the author introduced him by his possessions first. His possessions may have been worth more than he was. Have you ever seen... We have a dog. Do we have dog people? Okay. I love, I love a good dog. My dog is getting a little high maintenance in his old age. But um, there, there was one point in his life, whenever he was a rescue, uh, we would give him a bone. Now, if you put your hand down there to try to take that bone from a dog, what do you think might happen? He might snap at you. That's my bone. You can go get your own. We have a picture here of Nabal functioning this way. You see, whenever the text says he was a Calebite, the word for Calebite means dog-like. That Nabal is not even really a man. He's like a beast who is selfishly hoarding his stuff. Right? Now, there's a proverb that might understand, you know what's going to happen. We see that David is going to take up his sword, right? Go ven- take, a- take vengeance for his name. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. That's exactly what is happening here. Whenever we're insulted, whenever we're rejected, whenever we face our enemies and they push us away, they say ugly things to us, sin invites us to retaliate. They're not going to do me like that. Sin invites us to say something back, to return the insult. But just because you've been invited doesn't mean you have to show up, okay? Sin invites you to retaliate. It is our choice whether or not we decide to respond with sin. Proverbs 26.4 tells us, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. You see, David, what David is doing is responding in a foolish fashion. He's responding with, he's been insulted, he's been rejected, and he says, take up your sword. We might think, whoa, David, that's a little much for just those words. That's That's a strong response. He's bursting with anger. And David 
in his response has become like Nabal. Whenever you're slighted, whenever you're insulted, whenever your enemy attacks, how do you respond? Does anger well up in your heart? Do you want to respond out of anger toward this person? James 1.20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. Even when our enemies provoke us. You see, in this text, we actually see how David presents us with a contrast of Jesus. He looks a lot more like we do. Because the true anointed king who would come would not be guilty of spilling unnecessary blood like David was going to. Jesus, our king, teaches us in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That goes against cultural wisdom. Culture says, cut them out. You don't need that negativity in your life. You see that everywhere. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But not only did Jesus teach it, he modeled it in his death on the cross. Isaiah 53 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is, led, that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When insulted, when mocked, when, when even put to death, he did not respond in anger. He kept his mouth closed. Where David came to kill the fool, Jesus came to die so that the fool might live. So we see David's response. We, we think things aren't going to go so well for David. Things might not, even, maybe even worse for Nabal with what's coming. But there's a little word in verse 14 that set, puts the brakes on that. In verse 14, but. David is seeing red. He is ready to go take care of business. But something happens. Let's see what happens in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all of his house." And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. I want to draw your attention to a couple of things here. The shepherd hears about what's, go, what's, what's about to happen. He runs to Abigail. Well, how does the text describe her? She's wise. She's discerning. She's intelligent, right? She's the brains of the operation in Nabal's household. So, she, so the shepherd runs to her and explains what actually happened. And there's a, he says, these men were very good to us. And I did some research, and very good in the Hebrew doesn't show up very often. It shows up in Genesis chapter 1, it shows up in Judges, and there's a couple of other times. 
But this phrase, very good, you might remember from the creation account, right? Whenever God looked at all that he created and said it was very good, things are operating as they're intended to operate. Everything is intrinsically good. And I think what we might have here is a clue that when David was with the, was with the shepherds in the wilderness, he was using his power and his authority and his strength to protect the vulnerable, to protect those who might otherwise be left out to dry, who might experience danger. You remember what David said about being a shepherd? He said, I've fought lions, I've fought bears being a shepherd. If David had not been there to protect them, they may have faced the same, same end. But I think this is kind of giving us a little clue here. This is how the king is supposed to operate. He's supposed to use his power to care. And do we not see this in Jesus? His care and his service to those who are weak. His care and his love for those who are on the fringes. He says that they were like a wall to us day and night. That might throw your mind back to the Exodus account when the the water was separated and it was walled up on either side. Like God protected the Israelites, David and his men are there protecting these shepherds. And he wants Abigail to know because he doesn't want all of this to transpire that's about to transpire. So let's look uh, in verse 18 and see what Abigail does, okay? Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared with five sayas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. She's empty in that pantry. She is bringing it all, everything but the kitchen sink, right? In verse 19, and she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, I want you to notice something. We, she doesn't know this. The narrator of the story is telling us this, but Abigail does not know that David has just said this. Verse 21, David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned to me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David's stewing. On his, on his ride into town, he is just replaying this. He is, he is stewing. He's, he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier by the moment. But tell me if you've not felt like David before there. I've done all this for nothing. I've served this person and they continue to be mean to me. I've served this person, they continue to gossip about me. I have loved this person and they continue to set themselves against me. We've been there. You know how frustrating that is. And this is where David looks a lot like us because we often respond in the same way. We see red. We pursue and we retaliate. But by the time Abigail gets there, Something changes. Let's look in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Let me uh, stay, say one more thing before we get to, get to that, uh, that section. David, like I said, David has said all of this, but Abigail is unaware um, that David is this mad. But David is also unaware that Abigail's on the way, right? He doesn't know that someone is coming to address his concerns, that not only is she bringing provisions, but she's going to prevent him from following in the same path of Nabal, okay? 
A lot of times we, we negate or don't even think about the Lord working when we don't see it, right? Even in situations with our enemies. But the Lord is always at work for those who love him. All right, so let's look down in, uh, back again in verse 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell and got down, uh, got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, "On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please, uh, please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him." But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from the blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek to take your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. You see, Abigail functions as a mediator here. She steps in and intervenes to prevent David from following his course of action and becoming like Nabal. In our lives, sometimes, um, we need people who will step in to talk some sense into us before we follow the course of sin in responding to our enemies. And Abigail provides us with a good model of how to do that. And she reminds David of at least five key truths to remember before responding to your enemies. Okay? The first one is this. Remember the Lord's position. Remember the Lord's position. She starts out and she says, as the Lord lives. As the Lord lives, right? Whenever we're about to respond to an insult, respond to an enemy who is on the attack and on the prowl, we often forget that God's even there. We forget that there is a God who is sovereign, who judges the wicked. We forget that, who cares for us. So what she does is she points his eyes upward. Remember, the Lord lives. As the Lord lives, remember God before you do this. Then she points him to the Lord's presence. She actually kind of is the Lord's presence here. How does the Lord make himself known to us? How does he work? He works by his word, works by his spirit, but also by his people. And by sending Abigail... He wants David to know that he's with him. The Lord's presence demonstrate with David is demonstrated through the presence of Abigail. And I want to call your attention to this. I want you to pay attention to how God may be working in the lives of those who offer godly correction to you. God may send someone to correct you whenever you're in sin or about to sin. 
And your temptation may be to brush it off and to keep pursuing. But God works through people. I know that's been true in my life. It's true biblically. And it's probably been true in yours too. Where someone steps in to correct a course of action. We should thank God for people who have the humility but also the courage to correct us when we're in sin. God works through people. Kids, if God's given you godly parents, he works through them to correct you as much as you don't like it. Whenever you're following a course of action that is foolish and not wise, it is their responsibility to offer godly correction to you and to point you toward Christ. Now, parents, that also is on us that we need to do that in a godly way, right? Teachers, fellow believers, pastors, God gives us people to help us along this journey. So she reminds him of the Lord's position. He is the Lord. You are not him. He reigns, not you. He is the only one who can see clearly to judge. Then she reminds him of the Lord's presence and then the Lord's protection. Look down at verse 26. She says, the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. The Lord has actually stepped in to stop you from sinning. And then down in verse uh, 31, she says that that the Lord is protecting you from grief or pain of conscience. What does that mean? It's that thing after you say the thing or do the thing that you shouldn't have said to that person that says, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Man, I, shouldn't have, I should not have done that. I just, I just reacted. I didn't respond in grace. I reacted out of anger to my enemy. And now I have to live with that guilty conscience of that, of that response. But she says, the Lord is protecting you from that. Be wise enough and humble enough to submit to that. But she, she says something beautiful in verse 29. She tells David, your life shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord. It's almost like she's saying, David, does God not care for you? Yeah, Nabal said what he said. Yeah, your enemy said what they said. Yes, they stood against you. But does the Lord not care for you? Does the Lord not hold you in his hand? No insult, mockery, or meanness from an enemy can threaten your safety in the hand of God. Remember the Lord's protection. Remember his power. She also says that the Lord intervened to keep you from saving by your own hand, to keep you from avenging yourself. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about David's desire to seek revenge, right? That's for God. That's for God. That's not for us. And in verse 29, she says, he shall be the one to sling out your enemies from a hollow of a sling. She's kind of, remember the sling with David, David and Goliath? I think, yeah, David killed Goliath. But the truth is God, through David, worked to bring about the victory over Goliath. She's reminding him of that. But just as that stone flew from that sling, God would take care of David's enemies. And the last thing she wants him to remember is the Lord's promise. For David, that promise was that he was going to be king, king over Israel. For us, it's because as we have Jesus as our king, because we have Jesus as our king, we have access to this same present 
powerful and protecting God who watches over us and keeps us back from sin. So you see, if, if in David we have a contrast of Jesus, in Abigail we have a clearer picture of what Jesus has done for us. Abigail, the innocent one, opens her speech by saying, let his guilt be on me. She didn't deserve death. Nabal did. Jesus, innocent of any sin, you and I are completely guilty, deserving of every bit of wrath that comes our way apart from Christ. That's what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. Where Abigail faced the possibility of death and going to David, Jesus ultimately had to die in the place of you and I in order to pay for our sin. Abigail, through her sacrifice, removes the wrath of the king. He sends her on her way in peace. Jesus, through his sacrifice of his life on the cross, received the wrath that was due to you and to me so that we could be saved if we would turn from our sin and believe in him. Abigail points us straight to Christ. Jesus, who stood in the gap when we were undeserving, fully guilty. Jesus, who took the weight of the punishment on himself through his offering of his life. Have you trusted in him? As our story comes to an end, we see in verse 32 David's response to Abigail. And we also see Nabal's destruction. So look with me in verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Look at him acknowledging the Lord's activity in sending someone to correct him. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in the house, like the feast of a king. And he was merry within him, for he had a lot of wine. So she told him nothing at all until the morning. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David spoke or sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaiden, uh, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. David blesses Abigail for her correction. Godly correction is a blessing from God. And we should receive it as that. But I want you to see something else. Abigail, through her submission to David, 
joins the company of the king. She is now free from the foolish house of Nabal and is now a part of the king's family. Nabal carries on in his way of life, enjoying spoils, not paying attention to God, not being grateful for all that he has, demonstrating by his destruction that he has no place with the king. See, what I want us to see in this story is that through Jesus, we are saved both from ourselves and safe from our enemies. David, if left to himself, would have been guilty of the sin of blood guilt. But the Lord stepped in and saved him from himself through another person. God works through his word, his spirit, and his body to keep us from following that course of sin, especially when our enemies are attacking, helping us know how to respond correctly. But the truth is also the matter that there is nothing our enemies can do to us to separate us from God. There is nothing our enemy can say, do, that means that we are now outside of the care of God. Romans 8 talks to famine, sword, any of this, death, separate us from God? No. We are safe in the hand of God through this life and into eternity. Through Jesus, we are saved from ourselves and safe from our enemies. Now, I want you to consider who you might be in this story. We have Nabal the foolish, ultimately rejecting the anointed king. Concerned only with his wealth, concerned only with his resources. Like Nabal, maybe you have lived selfishly, and you have ultimately not submitted to the true king, Jesus. And you are continuing on in your life as if he's not even But like Nabal, you don't know how long your life is going to be. One day, it's here, and one day, it's not. But Jesus offers eternal life to those who will gladly submit to him, turn from their sin, and trust him for salvation. And today is that day for you. Maybe you see yourself in David, reacting out of anger at the insults of our enemies jumping on Facebook to quickly type out your response. Recording another TikTok to counteract the other one that so-and-so did. Or just being mean and ugly and hateful toward your enemy when Jesus says we're to love them. You need to receive godly correction with humility. You need to remember that God's hand is on your life even in the face of whatever your enemy may say or do. And then repent of your ungodly anger and retaliation. Hear Paul in Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But then maybe you see you're in a position like Abigail, 
You're in a mediatorial position. As brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to gently correct each other when we see each other behaving in ways contrary to what Scripture teaches in the way of Christ. But in so doing, we need to remember that we need Jesus too. And before we go and have that conversation, we might need to remove the log out of our own eye before trying to remove the speck, the speck out of our brother's eye. For those of us who are in Christ, who belong to him, we are increasingly being conformed into his image. Sometimes we need to learn that we will suffer for doing good. We will have enemies as we do good. But let it not be because we are an enemy as well. We know that there is one mediator between God and man. However, like Abigail, we need to plead before him for those who have not submitted to Jesus and who will face a fate like Nabal in death and destruction if they do not submit to the king.